Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 77 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we are together again. We have not seen each other for a week, which feels like a lifetime. I know. It seems like, wow, we have a podcast. Yeah, exactly. Right, that's right. It's very unusual for us not to see each other between recordings, and we haven't this this round. This summer's going to be a bit busy, I think, Yeah, with plans, traveling, and whatnot. So are you are you implying we have to get used to not seeing each other? Maybe. We might even have to do an episode over the phone. Oh, my. That yeah. Would, yeah. yeah, that would we'll be see. sad. Well, before we get started, we want to do a huge shout out to our listener, Tressa, who sent us a lovely card, the cover of the card, the front of the, the front card. The card is the Bronte sisters. Yeah, and sent us a lovely note, and she is a repeat donor. So thank, thank you, Tressa. Tressa. We really appreciate your support and listening. Thank you. So, and she used the Thoreau stamp. Oh, yes, that's right. Which was right. great. It was such a literary letter to receive in yes. so many ways. Yes, we appreciate yeah. it. So what are you currently reading, Chris? No one will be surprised when I say Gone with the Wind. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> I am 52% of the way through. Well, we're about which, similar. Which I'm a little lagging a bit behind, only because I wanted to do a bit of time on my book club book. and I have book club tonight. But I'm I'm enjoying it. But wow, it is big. You know? <laughs> it's <like>, really big. <laughs> when you think like, wow, I just read over 500 pages and I have over 500 pages to go. Right. It is a bit daunting, but I'm really enjoying it. And I'm just so... It's so interesting to me that just when I start liking Scarlett a little, you know, she opens her mouth a little bit too long, and (laughs) it's just like, oh, yes. Yeah. I know one of the discussion threads going on on the Goodreads page is whether or not she's growing and changing. I think that was a thread. And, yeah, I don't really know. Yeah. I think she's stepping up, Mm -hmm. but I don't really know if her basic nature is changing at all yeah well she's a teenager and i'm always reminding myself when i'm reading it absolutely yeah yeah she's 19 at this point in the book halfway through yeah which is really shocking to think about going through what she's doing and being the leader of her people yeah at tara yeah in atlanta too yeah, so reminder to people, this is our joint read-along with Jenny from Reading Envy, and we, although I feel like I could read this book forever <laughs> because it's so long, we indeed do need to have it done because we're going to be discussing it with Jenny on June 5th. Yes, and it's not too late to jump in. I know Sue, our friend, um, a booktopian friend, is just starting it Yeah. So for her summer uh, big book reading challenge that she does every year. Right. Anytime you want to jump in, there's that Goodreads page where you can have a conversation yeah and there's a lot of conversation going on there it's really fun jenny has it split up by parts by parts yeah and then there's also a thread about research that people are doing about different things that are mentioned right yeah a lot of historical things even some food references which i found different words yeah um yeah native american thread because there's a couple mentions that have huge broad historical and human interests background to it yeah Gone with the Wind. How about you? I'm, um, of course, also reading Gone with the Wind, but I started Mrs. Everything by Jennifer Weiner. I think last podcast I referred to her as Jennifer Weiner. She's actually mm-hmm. Jennifer Weiner. Weiner, okay. This book is going to be released on June 11th, so not that far away. And I'm thrilled to find out that she's going to have a discussion at Book Expo. Very cool. I really can't wait to listen to her talk about this book. She is a very prolific writer, but this is my first book of hers. I received it from NetGalley, and there is a note 
in the beginning of the book from her that she really wanted to write this book because of the time we're in right now okay. in our country. So it spans, it's about two sisters, and it's a coming-of-age novel that starts in the 50s, goes through the wild 60s. There's an LBGTQA, I don't know all the letters. Yeah, LGBTQIA is a big one. LGBT is still one a lot of people say. Okay, so one of the sisters is a lesbian, and as you might imagine in the 50s, not such an easy thing to be dealing with. Yeah. You know, and I think she's doing a really beautiful job with the story. Uh, weaving in and out the two sisters it's told from the different the two sisters different points of view cool. i'm really enjoying it so more to come on that on the next podcast because i will have finished the book likely and have heard the author speak yeah so i'm excited about that cool yeah hey so i'm also reading that my book club book is the real jane austen a life in small things it's by paula byrne and this came out in 2013 so it's been around for a while it's from, from harper perennial and what she does is she has 18 different material objects that are in Jane Austen's life. Oh, how cool. In her family life or things that are from that time period and how they're mentioned in the book. But she's using them as a way to show how large Jane Austen's world actually was. Because you have, you know, different things like an East Indian shawl. Mm. At this time period, you know, in the 18th century, the British Empire was going strong in the East Indies. And so ladies all wanted to have an East Indian shawl. Hmm. And by talking about it, it, you can see how Jane Austen was connected with different parts of the world through her family members who were traveling to these areas, not just as soldiers, but also as women in search of husbands. Mm. Because women who didn't have family support, who needed a husband, would go to the East Indies and marry an Englishman, usually, who was stationed there or working there as a merchant or something like that. Maybe not a merchant, because that's a different class. So anyway, fascinating. And like in that small section, she also mentions how some of these British men would invest in different things in the East Indies and or China, and the money would come back, Mm -hmm. you know, a good return on their investment, and that most of that money was because of opium. Mm. So they were investing and then making money that. So Jane Austen's life was in part funded by opium. Wow. Which is fascinating to think about. But I just love this book because you've learned so much about the 18th century, and you also... It deepens your understanding of her novels in a lot of ways. One of the things that I like, she talks about how these small small things that are embedded in her novels, where, you know, somebody might be getting a picture or a chain or some token of affection, and just how, like those, as she says, the intense emotions of love and death are often refracted through these objects. Mm, yeah. And it, and there was another point, too, which is, I'll loosely connect, Jane Austen made a lot of jokes about death and, and other hard things that happen in life. And what's fascinating is to think that, for the longest time, it was male critics who were judging, critiquing her work, and would often have a very different spin on it. Mm. Um, and as women are becoming more in the field of criticism and scholars... 
and, and looking at the novels in Jane Austen's life, there's a very different perception of some of these things. Before Jane Austen published novels, she had these notebooks where she wrote stories. Um, they're, they're not first drafts or anything. Like She intentionally wrote these out very nicely. They were finished pieces that mm-hmm. she had written. Um, but then in her letters is kind of like the best way to get to know somebody because you get to kind of know the real person. A lot of her letters that are known are to her sister, her older sister, who was named Cassandra. And as any little sister <laughs> knows, like you often want to make your older sister laugh. Right. You know, you want to... And, and it's kind of like the younger sibling thing. Like you're often the one who is the jokester. You're the comic relief in the right, family. exactly. Yeah. And so that is, you know, kind of what Jane was. And so... I'm just going to read this this paragraph, if you don't mind. It was well known that she made a tasteless, tasteless joke about miscarriage. And this is a quote from her letter. Mrs. Hall of Sherborne was brought to bed yesterday of a dead child, some weeks before she expected, owning to a fright. I suppose she happened unawares to look at her husband. <laughs> See, right? <laughs> The author goes on to say, male critics have really been, you know, they just thought she was kind of awful and crass and heartless for saying these things. But there's a critic, a scholar, Christopher Ricks, notes in a brilliant essay on Jane Austen and children, when this quote is read aloud to an audience of women, it usually provokes great guffaws of laughter. It tends to be male critics who find her joke distasteful. Women are made of sterner stuff. Hmm. And, you know, you think about a time period when so many women died in childbirth and Hmm. had miscarriages and stillborns. You have that gallows humor as a way to cope. Yeah. And we still do today. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Just look at Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But I really loved it. And one, there's one point where uh, Austin is quoted, I think from one of those early stories that she included in her notebooks, she uses the word fiddle-dee-dee-a. And it made me think of Scarlet in Gone at the Wind, who says fiddle-dee-dee mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. I tried to kind of look down, look at the origin of the word, and apparently it's first appeared in 1775 to 85, which is totally Jane Austen's. So it would be a word that people use then. She had a little bit of a different spelling. I've seen it spelt a couple different ways looking at the word, but it's really word that could be compared to something like, you know, fiddlesticks, which mm-hmm. is also kind of old-fashioned, and fiddling around. I don't know if people still use that a lot, but you know what fiddle around means more mm-hmm. than fiddly-dee-dee, maybe. Yeah. And I think some people think that that was just something Scarlet made up, maybe, but it's not. It was actually a, a word from that time period, which I thought was a lot of fun and a neat connection. Yeah. I love when you have those connections yes. when you're reading two very different books. For sure. Yeah. So this is a non. You're in a nonfiction book club, so you guys yeah. always read nonfiction, and so this is a nonfiction. Yes, nonfiction that's kind biography. of a, doing a little research about the things that appear in Jane Austen novels. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. and in and in her life and in that time period. So mm-hmm. like, there's uh, about the cocked hat. You know, the three corner hat, mm-hmm. and that that talks a bit about the militias, the difference between the militia at that time period and the regular army. And Pride and Prejudice, because the militia is a big part of that novel. And just how much Jane Austen actually had experience with that, because one of her brothers was in the army, in the militia. Mm. It's just fascinating. And it just makes you wish that there were, that more of her letters survived, because a lot of her letters didn't. A lot of hers were destroyed. And 
whatnot. And you just think like, ah, oh, if only we knew more. Right. But now, I, are, are you well read with Jane Austen? Because I've never read Jane Austen. Yeah, I love her. I haven't. I don't think I've read. Gosh, I can't even think of the title. Oh, there's one title that I know I didn't read because it's Mansfield Park. I haven't mm-hmm. read that. That's the one. But I love Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, Northanger Abbey's fun. And Persuasion. I think Persuasion is kind of my favorite of mm-hmm. hers. I don't, I don't remember how many she wrote. Yeah, but you're, um, so you are well. You're, you're a, a, you've read Austin. Yeah, I've read them, but not like some of them. Like Sarah, who chose this book for our book club, like she's totally like hands down way into Jane Austen. So I'm really looking forward to our discussion of the book tonight. And I have a ways to go a little bit. I think I'm at least halfway through. But after we finish recording today, I have to do some grocery shopping And then I'm taking the afternoon off to just read. Sounds good. So that was The Real Jane Austen, A Life in Small Things by Paula Byrne. So what did you just read? Well, considering that Gone with the Wind is taking over my life, um, the only other (laughs) thing I've read, I did read a, a short story by Willa Cather for the Willa Cather Short Story Project, Coming Aphrodite was the story for May, and I really enjoyed it. Um, this was not, you know, I think I've mentioned before some of Cather's earlier stories were really kind of Henry James, Jamesian in tone and execution. A lot of interior goings-on between people, but all dealing with artists, which is an interesting topic, at least to me anyway. Yeah. Um, but this story was in her 1920 collection, Youth and the Bright Medusa, so it's a much later story than the ones we were first reading, which were from 1905, her short story collection, The Troll Garden. So you really see a big change in Cather's tone and her execution and her subject matter, because this story deals with a young artist who's a painter. He's 26. He's living in, a, in an apartment that he's been, I think, in for four years or something like that. He lives with his little dog. And he's quite content to just be working on his painting. He's kind of like an avant-garde painter, so he's really trying to create something new. But he can also get work commercially Mm. to pay the rent. And his neighbor had been a playwright who got evicted because he couldn't pay his rent. So there's another artist of a type who isn't making it. But the person who moves in is a woman who's, I believe, 20, and she's a singer, and she also has a piano in her apartment. And she is an artist who is at the beginning of her career, but she has a patron who is a rich man from Chicago. And they were all, be, she, the rich man and I think his sister and the singer were going to be going to Paris, but they got delayed. So they just sent her to New York to have the summer to practice and work on her art. So these two neighbors strike up a bit of a relationship. And it's just really interesting because there are two different types of artists trying to make it in two different ways. And then there's the the push and pull between doing the avant-garde thing and being a completely original and then trying to make it in in a world where you you do have to conform to a right. certain amount and to, to be on stage. So it's really fascinating. And it might be one of the first stories with a peeping Tom because <laughs> the, the male painter finds a hole in his closet Mm. and he starts looking through the hole which is a great view into her room and the first time he does it he sees her doing exercises of some kind like yoga or tai chi movement exercises she's completely naked 
doing these exercises in front of a mirror. So, like, you know, like, he's an artist. As the story says, he's used to seeing the female form nude as a study. So, you know, you think, like, okay, dude, that's not cool. (laughs) You know, (laughs) even if you are a painter, it's still creepy. Yeah. Uh, But you don't get a creepy tone from it because Mm -hmm. of the, the whole artist angle and stuff. But what's fascinating is when the story was first published in the Smart Set magazine earlier in 1920, the editors changed it to have her wearing a pink outfit of some kind mm. and that she's doing gymnastic exercises. When I was thinking about that change, you know, at first I thought, well, they did that because obviously he's a peeping Tom and it's not cool for a man to do that and look at a woman who's naked. But then I was also thinking it really changes the vibe that you get about her too, you know, because think about it. A woman, even in this day and age, doing exercises naked in front of a mirror I don't know a lot of women who would do that because a lot of women have body issues. Mm-hmm. And I think this speaks to how confident this woman is in her body. It also reinforces the goddess illusions mm-hmm. or uh, illusions. I'm not thinking of my words correctly. But, you know, she's equated it's with Aphrodite. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the, the Greek gods and the Olympians, they used to perform the Olympics in the nude so mm-hmm. they could best show off their forms and everything. So it's a cool story. It also shows great scenes of old New York because mm. there's one scene where he goes out for a walk and it's, it's one of the last years when there were the um, horse-drawn carriages and the stages for the horses and things like that because by the end of the story... Automobiles are okay. more than ever because there's about a 20 year gap. And is that the time period that Cather was living in New York? It is, okay. yeah. So and and so sense. I should say this takes place around Washington Square. And Cather lived, I think, in two apartments around Washington okay. Square. So she definitely was one of those young artists coming to the city to learn her craft and work on her craft. Right. So it's pretty cool. cool. Yeah, it's a great story. Really enjoyed it. So that's Coming Aphrodite by Willa Cather. Well, I actually read a lot, even though we're reading Gone with the Wind, because up till now, up until yesterday, I've been doing Gone with the Wind on audio, but I too am realizing that the race is on. So I just <laughs> downloaded the ebook and I'm going to start reading and listening. But I traveled last week, and so one of my treats is to read on the airplane. So I actually got quite a bit of reading done. I finished Miracle Creek by Angie Kim. Oh, cool. Oh, this book. I hope I get to hear her speak about it at some point. This is a page turner. It's about a family, a Korean family that immigrated. The daughter was young when they immigrated. The family had to split up. The mother and the daughter came alone, and then the father joined them later. And they go to rural Virginia. Wow. So, you know, we've heard Min Jin Lee talk about her experience coming as, I think, a seven-year-old to New York City. But she lived in Queens, which was a very vibrant, very immigrant-rich area. These folks are not in an immigrant-rich area. Why rural Virginia? Um, I think what they got placed there, I want to say it was like a Christian family or some sort of family that wanted offered for them to come and live and work in the, in the mother could work in the grocery store. Okay. And so the mother ends up working nonstop and can never see the daughter. And so it's one of those versions of the American dream. I'm using air quotes, you know, where you come to America and 
you have to work really hard to be able to survive. Mm-hmm. That's not really what the book is about. I mean, it is about the immigrant experience, but it's uh, what they end up doing when the father comes to join them is they build in this rural area in the farm that they're living on a hyperbolic oxygen chamber for medicinal purposes. Mm. People, It's called HBOT, and people do use this to... People think it has all sorts of health benefits from solving problems with infertility to helping aid with autism spectrum disorders to cystic fibrosis. Um, It's not, it is becoming more mainstream, but isn't necessarily as mainstream as far as insurance is considered and things like that. Mm -hmm. So they build this and they're in Miracle Creek, Virginia. So they call it the Miracle Submarine. And the opening of the story, so this is not a spoiler, is that people are in the machine having a treatment and it explodes and catches on fire. Wow. And so then the novel takes off and it revolves around a four-day trial. And it's from different points of view of the mother who, uh, the, the Korean mother, the Korean father who owned the machine, the daughter who lives with them, patients that are in the machine. And the, one of the mothers of one of the patients stands on trial. And it is so good. I mean, it. She deals with the Korean immigrant experience. She deals with you know the what's a good mother, and there are these mothers who have children of on various levels of the autism spectrum, and one of them is diehard and will do everything and hold tight to dietary controls and things like that. And another one is wants her child to get better, but is you know has a, a more challenged life with more kids and is a little bit wishy-washy about keeping to some of the parameters for trying to solve your child's autism issues. One of the kids has cystic fibrosis. So it really deals with also like what's a good mother, Interesting. you know, yeah. and what steps will a mother take to help her child? And also how hard it is to be a mother of a challenged child. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know how hard it is to be a mother of challenging children, <laughs> but, you know, who were really great kids. But, you know, to have a medical condition on top of that yeah. is incredibly challenging. And, you know, the mothers sharing with each other that, you know, they need a break or maybe they can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And how do you do it? So she also looks at that. It's very twisty and turny. You think you know what's going to happen. Trust me, you don't. (laughs) So I really enjoyed it. And this is a debut novel. And, you know, Angie Kim has written, as I said, I think on the last episode, some editorials and, you know, short stories. She is both a Korean immigrant, a trial attorney, and the mother of someone who used this HBOT treatment for her own autistic child and has kids who I think she has three children and they all have different medical challenges so she definitely speaks from a place of knowledge on all three of those fronts I highly recommend I cannot recommend this book enough and thank you to our buddy Russell who said you know this is has your name written all over it yeah because I've said I love you know the trial 
courtroom books. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Mom and immigrant. Yeah. And in many different perspectives, like one of the patients in in there was a gentleman who was looking to improve his infertility. He's a main player in the story too. So she also has it from different, you know, gender points of view. Sounds fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It is really good. I can see why it's a hot seller and, um, and that I, just came out, right? Yeah, it came out, I want to say, a, a month or two ago. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so it's available. Wow. Miracle Creek by Angie Kim. Cool. I also got the chance to read Very Nice by Marcy Dermansky. That releases on July 2nd. I've spoken about her before in her book, Red Car. And this book is intense. It's a, a mother-daughter theme, and the daughter is in... Um, college and she is in um, a creative writing class and has a relationship with her professor which is kind of one of those when I read that I was like wah wah (laughs) you know classic (laughs) classic things but um, he's kind of a one-hit wonder at this point he's had a, a book that did performed really well but now he's suffering from writer's block and trying to work on his next book and he ends up I'm not gonna do too many spoilers, but he ends up spending the summer in Connecticut on the Long Island Shore um, at this woman that his student's mother's house. Oh, geez. Yeah. Boundaries. Yes. Well, <laughs> many boundaries are pushed in this book. So um, so it, it, this t- book, too, takes place from different points of view. And the mother and the father of this student have recently separated and the father left the mother for, like, a 25-year-old pilot, you know, that sort of thing. But it, she weaves, like, each of the people ends up touching each other and really... Oh, that sounded a little frisky. <laughs> I didn't mean it in the frisky. Well, there's lots of frisky, too. Frisky. <laughs> but I mean the, the characters themselves come into contact with each other in very interesting and unusual ways. So there's a thread with a a woman who's the editor for the professor, for example, and she happens to be living in, you know, an apartment that then is affected by something else and something else. So there's lots of rollover. Marcy Dramansky is a very interesting writer. I really enjoy, I've enjoyed every book that she's written, and this one does not disappoint. Very cool. Um, um, and it takes place in the current time, I should say, also. So there's like an Obama and Trump thread as well. Okay. So, um, and hedge funds and all sorts of things. But it also is always interesting to me since I moved to Connecticut, how many books have some sort of touchstone in Connecticut? And this mm-hmm. one was very familiar in that way. Again, Very Nice by Marcy Dermansky releases on 7-2, July 2nd. Then I also had the opportunity to read a very short book that I would call a novella. I don't know what the rules are around length, but this is 118 pages. Okay. I don't know if a novella is supposed to be less than 100 pages. I think, it, yeah, I think word count is what sums yeah. it up. But it's, it's so fascinating because, yeah, I mean, it depends too on how it's originally published, at least if you're looking uh, at literary history or a writer's canon. Because, like, Cather's story, My Immortal Enemy, is considered a novel or, you know, a novella technically, but it's considered a book, mm-hmm. whereas she has a short story that's longer than that, but it's still considered a short story because hmm. in her lifetime, it was never published as a standalone thing in book form. Gotcha. So these days, when something's brand new coming out, 
I don't right. know. Like, I mean, yeah. it, it looks and feels like a book. Yeah. It's called <laughs> Like a Mule Bringing Ice Cream to the Sun. Oh, what a title. Which is such an incredible title. And the author's name is Sarah Ladipo Manyika. I probably completely just butchered that name. She's a Nigerian writer. And um, this is such an interesting book. It's about a an older woman who's on the cusp of turning 75. Her birthday is just around the corner. And she hurts herself she ends up breaking her hip Mm. but what the story does is it it starts right before her birthday and she talks about her life and she's driving this really um old cool porsche which i loved that and she lives in san francisco so she's driving around the city and she gets something in the mail saying that she needs to take a driving test or she needs to renew her license or something like that. And so she, so it's really, she starts to think about and talk about being older. And the story is told by weaving different chapters. Every other chapter is this, the main character whose name is Morieo. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. And, um, and then different people she comes into contact with. Mm-hmm. So it might be, the man who sells flowers down the street, you know, the shopkeeper, or um, her good f- young f- woman friend who comes by and keeps her company, so named Sophie. And so it's a really interesting tale told from the perspective of both the main character and the people she comes into contact with. Interesting. It's really beautifully written. And it also touches a little bit on, you may be older, but that still doesn't mean you don't have, you know, Erotic feelings. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So she also does a really good job writing about that, I think. And um, I believe the author, Monika, is, um, I think she teaches writing. Okay. Yeah, she teaches literature at San Francisco State University. Okay, I was going to ask if that was set in Nigeria or the U. It's set in the U.S. It's set in the U.S. Okay. and because she lives in San Francisco, there right. is a it's chapter that right. goes back to Nigeria because her ex-husband is one of the characters that comes in in one of the chapters, okay. and he still lives in Nigeria, and she thinks about her time in Nigeria as well. Mm. So there's definitely that thread, which those I thought those chapters were really beautiful. It's always fun to read a book and feel like you got to go visit somewhere else. Yeah, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's a really great book. It's it's interesting. Our friend Russell again. He loves to read about older women. And I, when I read this book, I was like, huh, I wonder if I should mention this to Russell. And then sure enough, I go on Goodreads, and he's read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, again, like a mule bringing ice cream to the sun, Sarah Ladipo Manika, and it was shortlisted for the Goldsmiths Prize in 2016. Which I don't know anything about. Excellent. Yeah. And Russell, that is, uh, he's the booktuber at Income Paper Blog. If right. you want to check him out, he has a lot of great literary fiction recommendations. Yes, your TBR will explode. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Biblio Adventures. Now, Emily, you have been out of the state of Connecticut on um, some quite interesting Biblio yes. Adventures. Tell. I've been places, people. (laughs) (laughs) You went back to the Midwest. I did. I went to Minnesota. I had to go there for a board meeting, and I spent part of the time in a lovely Benedictine chapel. I'm not chapel. I did go to the chapel, but a St. Benedictine Abbey, a couple um, hours outside of the Twin Cities. It was very zen 
I loved my time there. And they had a really cool lending library there that had all manner of spiritual books from Eckhart Tolle. Is that how you say his Tolle, name? Tolle. Yeah. Tolle. Um, to, you know, the versions of the Bible and things like that. And it was such a wonderful place to have a meeting. It sat right on a beautiful lake. Lakes aren't hard to find in the land of 10,000 lakes, but um, it was really, really lovely. And they also had a library there. I think it was called the Akun Library. I don't really know how to pronounce it. But they had a very cool exhibit on the Bible Hmm. and a Bible that they ordered, I guess, and decided to create a new version of the, not a version, but a new writing of the Bible. Okay. They hired these scribes and artists to create a beautiful Bible, and they had the, the pages on exhibit. It was such a cool exhibit. I really enjoyed looking at that and seeing like how scribes work. They showed all of the accessories that they used to do the writing because they literally did it with quill pens mm-hmm. and the gold where they blew gold filament through tubes and wow, things like that. Cool. So yeah, it was a really yes. cool exhibit. And then I left that charming little abbey and went into the Twin Cities and stayed in Minneapolis with my gentleman caller who joined me and his sister and brother-in-law. And we got to go to two bookstores. We went to Milkweed Editions. It's, It's housed in a place that's called Center for the Book. So in Center for the Book, I think Center for the Book Arts is the full name, was Milkweed Editions, which is a really cool small press publisher and they have a bookstore called open books which i thought was just going to have milkweed edition books but it doesn't it has their books and others which is where i picked up that copy of like a mule bringing ice cream to the sun okay they had a lovely cafe there and they also had a really cool bookstore that sold a lot of things on consignment because they offer really cool art classes there that revolve around somehow around bookmaking or book Very arts. Cool. Yeah. That's so neat. Yeah, so that was really cool and I bought some really beautiful cards and things like that. The other cool thing in the in the bookstore there was they had a gumball machine, a poetry gumball machine. Those are awesome. Oh my god, I loved it. And the proceeds of which went to um, the Minnesota Prison Writing Project. And all of the poetry in them was written by the prisoners. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was that's really so cool. cool. And I bought two. The, both the poems were very um, sensual in nature. I read them and enjoyed them. And then I actually gave them to my cousin for her birthday. Cool. <laughs> so, um, and then the other bookstore I got to was Birch Bark Books and Nature Arts, which is owned by the author Louise Erdrich. Nice. And it's beautiful inside it's very small but incredibly well curated i shouldn't say it's really small i mean it was smaller than i expected okay lots of really cool um native art and then they had a whole section uh, with louise erdrich's books and also her books in other languages that was neat you posted yeah. pictures of that i yeah. love that yeah That's it was so neat. really cool and then they have a really nice section of books written by native american authors i bought a couple for my daughter she loves reading books by Native American authors. They also had really nice cards and things like that in the store. Cool. Yeah, so that was really fun. I did hope to, you know, just stumble upon Louise Erdrich hanging out in her bookstore. <laughs> she was not there. I asked the, I asked the bookseller if she was there, and he gave me a look like, uh, we got a stalker in the house, you know? <laughs> like, 
No, she's not here. No, she's not going to be here later today. Don't hang out, you know, with your binoculars. There's a special button underneath the right, counter. Exactly. <laughs> like, Louise, turn around. Yeah. Go back home. It was very funny. You could tell he was, like, not having it. Um, but it was it was really fun. And then the other thing that was really cool just about the town in general is there is a little free library, I swear, oh on every block. Yeah. That was so amazing. They're so yeah. different looking, too. Yeah. You really decorated wonderfully and with such personal character. Yeah. So I posted, for any of you who follow us on social media, I did a posting of a bunch of them. I had a moment wondering, like, was the was the founder of the Little Free Libraries from Minnesota? Maybe that's why there are so many here. I looked it up. He's from Wisconsin. Oh, okay. So close Next by. door. Yeah. yeah. But that was really fun. So every walk I did, you know, it was kind of like, where's Waldo? You know, where's the little free library? (laughs) And I took a bunch of pictures. And one of the last ones we found, we were walking um, Jim's sister's dogs. And we found one that had dog treats in it, which was so cute. So that was really fun. I had a really good time in Minnesota. And I hope to go back. (laughs) What about you? Well, I did go to see that production of Pride and Prejudice that I mentioned last episode that uh, one of our friends is in, and it was fantastic. It was a great production. I'd never seen Pride and Prejudice, theatrical production of it. So this was set in the Shaw Mansion, Mm. or it was performed in the Shaw Mansion in New London, which was built in 1756. So it's the Flock Theater, and they, they put on their historical plays in the mansion when they can to give it that setting because like Pride and Prejudice, it came out in 1815. So there you are sitting in this home that until it was given to the New London Historical Society had always been in the family. Mm. So you have the family portraits there and some, you know, their furniture. During intermission, when I was waiting for the bathroom upstairs, I snuck into the library. It's not like a library, but it's a, a place where they have cataloged the books that the family owned and news and then they have um bound newspapers oh cool that go way far back in time um (laughs) and it was just so neat the production itself was cool now this was adapted by john jory and i meant to look that playwright up but i i failed on that but um (laughs) i really enjoyed this production it was all with it was with american accents there there were no british accents Mm -hmm. And at first, and I knew that going into it, and I wasn't sure what I would think about it. But I totally, the actors were all so good mm. that I didn't even think about yeah. it. You know, once they got going, like I didn't even phase me. So and don't it was, you don't you think it's better that than like bad British accents though? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I always feel like oh, just just don't. Yeah. yeah. So the play was in the the living room, the receiving room. And there are, so there's two entryways when you first walk in and then going back into where the dining room had been. So it was great because the actors had those two doors to come oh, in and cool. out of. So it had a really good flow. But was it so, I mean, how many could it seat? Because I think of them. Like, you know what? It, it didn't seat very many. Okay. I think it's like 40 seats. Okay. And it's yeah. just like fold out seats. So like you were right there. Wow. We, we sat in the second row. But, like, if you're in the front row, you were, like, two or three feet away wow. from the actors. So it's very intimate. Mm-hmm. And you That's do, you cool. almost feel like you're there in the living room with them. Right. Or wherever the scene may be set. Which is how performances used to be, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is well, really cool. a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I know, like, in reading this, uh, the biography I'm reading right now of Jane Austen by Paula Byrne, I mean, she talks about the amateur theater 
that people performed in their homes. Mm-hmm. And so that's giving me a neat yeah. connection with that as well, because Jane Austen was really into performing theater sure. in her home, yeah. even as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, it was still a tradition in a lot of homes. And it reminds me of Little Women, how they had that little barn out back, remember, yeah. where they would do their little performances. Right. yeah. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Unfortunately, it's going to be the production's over by the time this episode will air, but I, I did enjoy that very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing I did, I did a video for Sean the Book Maniac. He was celebrating his 2,000, getting 2,000 subscribers, and so he put out a call for camera flip videos, flipping the camera to his viewers right and so he asked people to submit videos if you want to about anything bookish and and i had the first person who did it did like a library tour of their of their bookshelves and i was like you know i'm in the middle of packing to move and my (laughs) books are a mess and he's like oh it doesn't have to be that you can do whatever you want he's like you could do willa cather so i stopped listening after that (laughs) i was like okay i'll do a video you want me to talk about willa cather Yeah, so... Oh, please. (laughs) Exactly. Darn. Okay. So I did, and it was like a half hour long. I couldn't believe it was that long, but he said Uh, that was You couldn't believe it was that long? (laughs) Is anyone out there laughing? (laughs) Laughing hard? (laughs) Oh, God. So that was fun. So I talked about how I got into Cather, and then I just did like a brief intro to each novel. I can't wait to watch it. I haven't had a chance, but I'll put a link in the show notes so everyone can find it. Yes. And then um, be sure to subscribe to Sean, the book maniac, as yeah. well. Yeah, So, and he does a lot of literary fiction, too. He's, he's a self-proclaimed literary snob okay. who doesn't like genre fiction. Okay. And I hate to tell him, but I believe that all books are of a genre of a kind. Like, mm-hmm. I do think literary fiction is a genre. Yes. Biography is a genre. Like, I don't... But I know, like, in the industry, genre is considered mystery, romance... Right. You know, sci-fi. I mean, mm-hmm. in one world, that's what that means. Anyway, so just smacking your chops a bit, Sean, if you're listening. <laughs> I think that's what your next video should be about, Chris. What? Smacking chops? <laughs> no. Genre fiction. <laughs> Genre fiction, yeah. So anyway, that was fun. And other than like having a conversation with a friend on the phone about books, those are my literate, my biblio adventures this time right around. On. So. Well, we've got an upcoming jaunts, and we've got a big joint jaunt adventure. So next week, we're going to Book Expo in New York City, which is the largest book expo in North America. I think the largest in the world is still the Frankfurt Book Fair. Um, So it's a big book fair where almost, you know, all the big publishers come. A lot of independent publishers come if if they can. I know it's expensive to come to New York and send product and a rep and everything but so yeah publishers are there uh, people who support bookstores in other ways are there Uh, so you have some sideline companies that are there Uh, bookshelf there's a bookshelf company or a library where they they set up a library slash bookstore situation so you kind of look at layouts and, and availability of that and then they have book signings with authors that are scheduled. Right. Where if you go, you can get the advanced reader copy of the book and get it autographed by the author right there, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. And then they have the educational section sessions on anything from for for readers, for industry people, 
So I love it. I love the yeah. educational se- sessions. We went to some really good ones the last couple of years. Yeah, we sure did. And um, we have committed to not bringing home 70 pounds of books like we did last year. I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard not to get swept up yeah. in the enthusiasm for, you know, picking up books yeah. that you're really excited to read. Yeah. So. And they all seem exciting. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they really do. And Sonia Sotomayor is going to be there. She's going to she's going to be one of the big keynote the big evening ones. speakers yeah. this year and and Will Schwalbe is going to be there doing a live podcast, yeah. so that I'm hoping to catch that. That'll so, be neat, yeah. And yeah. then there's like the author breakfast, which mm-hmm. that's going to be a great panel. I like Rachel Maddow is going to be yes. on that. I think she might be chairing that panel. She has a new book coming out, mm-hmm. which I look forward to reading. I read her first book called Drift. Um, but that's at like eight or nine in the morning and I don't get out of bed that early. <laughs> I know we, we always, we've never made it to the author breakfast. Yeah. Cause like we'd have to get up at like what? Five 30 to catch yeah, the train. Yeah. And then, you know, see, I'm someone who can get out and get up and be out the door in 15 minutes, but I know that that's unusual. So I can be when I have to. Yeah. But again, do I have to? Right. <laughs> I don't really have to. Like, well, it's part not of my it is job. you have to pace yourself. That's part of the true yeah. part problem because you, if you go get up and go to that breakfast, it is all day on your feet walking around in masses of people. Right. So it's always kind of like, you know, if you, if you just miss it, then you kind of don't miss it. You right. know what I mean? You so make I choices. think that's we, yeah, yeah, exactly. Choices. And, you know, as people who are, you know, more on the introverted side of the spectrum, we do like our, Alone time, yes. our quiet time, our Which reading time. Which is hard time. to find. We were hiding yeah. in hallways last year. Yes. <laughs> so we'll see. But yeah. um, So that is next Wednesday through Friday. So yeah. we will be reporting back. We're going to try to be roving reporters for you listeners and, you know, hopefully get a few little interviews with people. And Yeah. There's also BookCon, which is then after Book Expo, it's BookCon, which is the Saturday and the Sunday. And that is less for industry people and more for readers and it's it's heavy on young adult fiction mm-hmm. and right. that i have not attended that i know people who do and love it yeah. i know it gets exponentially more crowded yeah which is hard for me to imagine because book expo is pretty crowded but right. yeah yeah so that's going on as well and then the week after Book Expo, I wanted to point out an event at RJ Julia in Madison. It's Wednesday, June 5th at 6 o'clock. It's a doubleheader. Two authors, Sandy Bontsberger with her book Split Level, and then Jean P. Moore with her book Tilda's Promise. They're going to be in conversation together. And Jean is going to be a guest, an upcoming guest in the summer on the book cougars so i'm really hoping to get to that event gene is one of the authors who is in a double header event at i think it was savoy yeah the savoy that we were going to and And then yeah winter reared its ugly head and we tried and drove for 20 minutes and didn't get much farther than my driveway (laughs) so um so it'd be really exciting to get the chance to see her on wednesday june 5th yeah and then the other thing I wanted to talk, I, I haven't even had a chance to mention this to you yet, Chris, but um, our buddy Emily dropped this in my mailbox the other day. There is a new staging of Little Women. Ooh. Yeah, it's at the primary stages at the Cherry Lane Cherry Lane Theater, I think is what it's called. And it's going to be 
on stage May 15th through June 29th. Oh, cool. And I would love to go see it. The writer is... And she's both a writer and performer, Kate Hamill, and she's she's um, starring in it. If cool. we had a chance, I know we both have a really busy June, but maybe we could just hop so on the train and go for, down. Yeah, yeah. lose a matinee or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So any of you who are going to be in New York or live near New York, you might check that out. Again, it's a staging of Little Women at the Cherry Lane Theater, May fifteenth through June twenty ninth. Nice. I guess May fifteenth is way past, isn't it? May 15th? Yeah, yeah today it's is the 24th. May 24th. I'm so confused. I am too. I, when I go lots of places, I just don't even know where I am or what day it is. So. <laughs> wow, yeah, because yeah. last summer we had the whole summer of Little Women, right. which was really exciting. So, so it'd be fun to revisit with a, a performance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, so upcoming reads. I have one on my... Um, Radar, and this is a book I picked up when I was at Milkweed, the bookstore. I guess it's called Open Books, the bookstore um, with Milkweed Edition books. And it this is a Milkweed, is it? Nope. Counterpoint. Sorry. Rewind. (laughs) This was out by Counterpoint Press. Um, It's Heartberries by Teresa Marie Myatt, and she was one of the panelists on that writing trauma Event. Event that we went to with Roxanne Gay in New Haven. And this is about her experience as a Native American woman. Um, it's a memoir. And um, I love the cover. I love the cover. It's it's a really short novel. Um, Literary Disco just read this book hmm. also. So you could check out. I'll put that in the show notes, their discussion of it. It's supposed to be pretty hard. Okay. Yeah. But I, this has been on my radar for a really long time, and when I saw it at the bookstore, I snagged a copy. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, upcoming reads for me. I realized my Audible subscription, I was way behind. I had all these credits piling up, and knowing that I was going to have kind of a busy couple months of reading, I called them to put it on hold. Mm-hmm. You can put Audible on hold for th- up to three months, Every 12 months. Oh, that's good Which is cool, yeah. So I called, and I asked to put it on hold for for three months. So I'm on hold until September. She said they'll email me when it's off hold, just mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm aware of that. But it was neat. When I was talking with the employee, she said that, that when it's slow there... They let them listen to audible, you know, audiobooks. Oh, how fun. Which that I thought was sense. neat. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I downloaded four audiobooks. And one of them I didn't write down here, but it was by Brene <laughs> Brown. Oh, Brene Brown. Brene yeah. Brown. So I don't remember which one, but for some reason I didn't write it. But these are the books that I downloaded. So Why Religion, A Personal Story by Elaine Pagels, who I she uh, wrote the Gnostic Gospels and, and many other books about uh, early Christianity and, and the Gospels and stuff. This is a memoir hmm. about why she's focused her career on religion and then why people are drawn to religion from what I understand. I don't know all the details, but every time I've seen it in the bookstore and before it first came out, I was kind of drawn to it. Yeah. Uh, The second book is Forged, Writing in the Name of God, Why the Bible's Authors Are Not Who We Think They Are by Bart D. Ehrman. Now, I read a book by him years ago called Misquoting Jesus he's a biblical scholar. He specializes in the New Testament. And he had been a conservative Christian. 
until he started studying the Bible and its history and translation challenges and whatnot. And that book, Misquoting Jesus, was fascinating because he looked at those early scribes who, in part, that was one of the things that he looked about. But a lot of the early scribes were illiterate, so they didn't know what they were copying. Mm. So they they might have skipped a whole line or a whole paragraph if they lost concentration right. for a minute, say they sneezed. And yeah. So a lot of uh, those early translations or the early copies of biblical texts are wackadoo yeah because of things like that and then even translations just the politics of translations throughout the centuries and everything really fascinating so this is another book by him i don't i downloaded it in part because i like that other book of his that i read but it's also under 10 hours Mm -hmm. which i like a shorter audio book and then other than gone with the wind that's like 50 hours (laughs) (laughs) not complaining just pointing it out so the, now the next book that I downloaded and am ready to listen to this summer, which I thought would be a good one to listen to after Gone with the Wind, as a little bit of a balancing, um, is Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom by David W. Blight. Now that one's 36 hours, 57 minutes, so it is a big long one. But Is that um, the one that just won it, the Pulitzer? Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's so, what I thought. Yeah. So yeah, about Frederick, Frederick Douglass, and I... I've always been interested in him, and I've read some of his writings. And like when I was at the American Writers Museum, I think it was last year, they had the big display on him mm-hmm. and how he was like the most photographed American of the 19th century. And just reading David Blight's intro, because I did look at it at the bookstore a little bit too, he talks about how Frederick Douglass may have also been the most traveled American of the uh-huh. 19th century. Maybe, you know, Mark Twain might have beat him out a little bit, but Frederick Douglass traveled the country and the world speaking. Hmm. And he, I guess if you're going to study the 19th century, you definitely need to be in touch with Frederick Douglass and what was going on. So I'm looking forward to listening to all of those books this summer, I hope. Well, you have a big drive when you go down to the Cather conference. Yeah. So I'm sure you'll, unless you're just going to be listening to Cather the whole way, you might. (laughs) You know what? I don't, I tried to listen to a Cather novel on audio one time. I just couldn't do it. Like I just, I have the voices in my head. Oh, And I, they just don't work for me. Uh And, and with some books, see, I mean, if you notice, these are all nonfiction. I don't do well listening to novels on on audio because I just, I have a hard time with voices in that way, mm. but I also have a hard time latching on to information. Yeah. And not staying focused on driving. Yeah. You know, whereas I could do that a bit better with nonfiction. Because it's almost like listening to like NPR or something with people telling those kinds right. of Or just having a conversation reports. with a friend in the car, which yeah. you would do if someone was driving with you. Right. So yeah. Yeah. And quite often though when I'm driving I don't have anything on. Yeah. I just like to it's thinking time. Yeah. yeah. So We'll, well see. going back to Brene Brown, I forgot. I also watched, um, I guess this is a Biblio adventure. She has a new special on Netflix. Mm. It's about an hour long special. I've done um, a session with a group of women reading a Brene Brown book together, which really actually informed and helped me move here, it helped me be brave. <laughs> but um, so I had heard a lot of the stories in this hour special, but put together, it's really good. Cool. And I think it's something that I'll listen to over and over, even in the background, you know, when yeah. I'm cleaning the house or something. Yeah. So. Whenever you're feeling like, you, you know, you can't manage the world, it's always good to get a little Brene Brown advice i feel like yeah so 
Yeah, really I really recommend her. I, I look forward to reading that because one of the books I turn to is Man's Search for Meaning mm-hmm. by Viktor Frankl. You know, we all have those books we turn yes. to, so it's good. Yeah. To, I'm looking forward to maybe adding her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. Very good. All right. Did we forget anything? Oh, I'm sure we did, but yeah. <laughs> too late. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say to our listeners that, you know, when we're editing or we listen to the episode just to make sure it's clean and we always have things like, oh, why didn't we say this? Yeah. Why didn't we say that? Just like when you go to a dinner party and you go home and you think, why did I say that? <laughs> It's no different here. <laughs> I guess it is different because we have the power. To we wield the right. power, but we can't put things in that we wish we had said. Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, if you're wondering, like, oh my God, why didn't you mention that? Right. Probably because we're regretting not mentioning it. Right. The next exactly. Day. <laughs> All right, Bye, everyone. Happy, happy reading. reading. Thanks for listening to the Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online. Join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.